So again, welcome. We're doing something a little different this morning. Now, some churches call services like this one, Ask the Minister. But we can think of it maybe as our own version of the car talk group, Stump the Chumps. <laughs> or another uh, affectionate term we use around our house, Pester the Pastor. <laughs> so again, you all should have gotten a note card and a pen or something to write with. So in a moment, Alex will be playing some music and uh, give all of us a chance to sit and think about a question or questions you'd like to ask me. We will collect the cards and I will be selecting ones to respond to later in the service. And don't worry, I will be responding to questions we don't get to in the upcoming issues of the Quilt Newsletter. And just uh, to talk a little bit about what we're looking for, though my training in ministry has afforded me the special ability to be able to speak with great authority on issues I know next to nothing about, <laughs> if you would like an educated response to your questions, I suggest you focus them on one of the following topics. Ferrari road car models and specifications, 1947 to present. <laughs> Boston Celtics championship teams and Hall of Fame inductees. The music of Miles Davis and Led Zeppelin. Just how adorable is Miles Martin Carlson? <laughs> and of course, Unitarian Universalist history, theology, and systems. That said, ask what you will if a question isn't appropriate, I just won't answer it. <laughs> so take a moment as the music starts to reflect on a question you'd like to raise. Write it down on a note card, and when you're done, please look up so I know where we are. And then at the end of this meditation, we'll, uh, we'll actually be passing a basket so you can put your cards in there. You do not need to sign your name to them, um, but if you, if you want a specific follow-up, you might want to leave your name with your question. All right, thank you. Well, thank you all, we got some very good questions this morning. They kind of uh, fall into three or four different categories. The first are a couple very short kind of personal questions about me. And then there are some relatively short questions about some programming. And then there are some questions I'll try and get to uh, that go a little deeper into UU identity. And then there's a whole stack here that are worthy of full either sermons or newsletter articles. So we'll be addressing some of these bigger questions um, in, the, in the newsletter and in upcoming services. So the first kind of personal question is, do you miss the delicious seafood that is available in New England? Yes. <laughs> If you're ever in Boston, uh, the Salty Dog, which is actually in the basement of Quincy Market, has been there going on 200 years, and they still have the best clam chowder on earth. Um, okay. When will the transgender ministry be starting? What issues will it seek to address, and how? It's a very good question. Um, the transgender ministry effort came out of a need in our society and in our community church right here. 
unfortunately, it's one of those things that I am not particularly qualified to lead. And um, we've been looking at different programs and some curricula that we can use, but it's amazing how quickly the research and the knowledge actually changes. Um, the transgender community of today is vastly different even than the transgender community of 15 years ago. Um, so the good news is we have an expert coming in. Her name is Denise Colley. She's gonna be our intern minister starting in September. She has done LGBTQ uh, advocacy for decades and is very connected with the transgender community of uh, Milwaukee. And one of the first things that she's gonna do when she gets here in September is work with me and our volunteer leaders to establish a regularly meeting group that's uh, a support group for trans folks and their allies um, to better equip us with dealing with issues in larger society and how we can better support our trans community right here at church. Next question, programmatically. How does someone new connect with the minister if they don't have a specific spiritual need? Well, this is a really good one. Um, you know, I'm available for pastoral and personal consultation and meetings um, during my office hours and really any time if you can schedule ahead of time. So um, drop me an email at uureverend at gmail, write us through our website or uh, call the office number and uh, we can set up a meeting. The other way that new members or new uh, folks can, can get to know me and, and know the programs and the church a little bit is by attending a Seekers class. We'll probably have another series of uh, classes in the fall um, that again go over some specific things about Bradford Community Church but also UU history and theology and all the stuff you need to know to be a good Unitarian Universalist in the world. So there are a number of questions, four, at least four or five, about membership and what our kind of potential is and what our five-year plan is. How can we increase our membership? Why has our membership not increased? Where do you see the congregation in five years? One of the things that, that happens is that churches are institutions. They're systems. They have family systems going on. They have administrative systems going on. They have social systems going on. And systems, like anything, tend to remain static until or unless something mixes them up. And one of the things that you see generally in ministerial transitions, when a minister has been at a church for a long time and then leaves, and a new minister comes in or there's an interim period, there's often kind of a, an increase in enthusiasm right at the beginning for something new, something uh, different. And you see, generally you see uh, attendance and even membership sometimes increase initially, um, but then after a little while, some of the people realize they like the church the way it was before. 
And so that enthusiasm from some is tempered by some real resistance to change from others. And we've seen that here. We've added a couple dozen new members since I've been here, but we've lost uh, at least that many uh, in the transition as well. So one of the things that we look at is how we can increase our visibility, but also our welcoming within. Uh, we do have a fair number of visitors. In fact, Unitarian Universalist churches across the country um, have a huge number of visitors per capita, but we don't actually retain as many visitors as some, and uh, we also have a difficulty denomination-wide in integrating new members. So, one of the things, I wanna thank Mary Kay for lifting this up earlier, chalice circles, small group ministries, different task forces, different groups, uh, bolstering those and getting people more involved in work outside of just Sunday mornings is one of the ways to increase attendance and increase membership. Um, the other is kind of what we've been working on all along, which is creating better systems to run the church, where we have delineated roles between what we expect from volunteers and what we expect from staff, and um, a real empowerment of our volunteer leadership to set kind of the direction of the church and the, the programmatic goals. In fact, I'm very excited over the summer, um, our newly elected board of trustees will be finalizing our strategic plan, which is set to cover the next five or six years or so. And you'll be hearing a lot about how we're planning to add to some of our programs, but also strengthen the ones that we already have that are, that are working well. Um, the other thing is that membership is very often a reflection of the population in which we live. So the fact that Kenosha is growing itself means that the church invariably will see an increase in attendance and membership. And it's really up to us to provide that welcoming space and provide the environment in which people who want to come can come and can stay. Uh, another programmatic question, how can I become part of the worship planning team? Well, that's a really easy one. You can show up on Saturday mornings, the uh, first Saturday of the month. We meet downstairs at 9.30 a.m. If that's a time that you can't make, um, please let me know and we can figure out uh, a way you can contribute to the worship planning team and or uh, provide a service topic or even uh, provide a service yourself. So again, write me through the website or my email. Um, or leave a message on the answering machine here. And that really goes for any committee or, uh, or task force. Um, just contact us. If you're not able to make the scheduled meeting, we can find a way to uh, coordinate your input with the rest of the groups. Okay, so now we have some more general questions about Unitarian Universalism. Here's an interesting one. Are Unitarian Universalists connected with any Christian or Buddhist monasteries? And the second part, are there any Unitarian Universalist monasteries or retreat centers? 
So there has been in the last, say, 30 years, an increased attention paid uh, by Unitarian Universalism to Buddhism. And there are a number of people who claim both UU and Buddhism as their kind of spiritual identities. Um, the most notable of which is a UU minister and Zen Buddhist priest named James Ishmael Ford. Um, he's a, uh, an incredible minister. He was an educator of mine at Meadville when he was minister in residence, uh, taught a whole series on, on Zen Buddhism. And he, uh, he does run Buddhist retreat, retreats, not exactly monasteries or anything that official, but he does run uh, Zen Buddhist retreats in New York and the Boston area. Um, and then there are a number of UU family camps and retreat centers uh, all over the country. Uh, there's one in Minnesota, in Minnesota called Camp Unistar, which is a gorgeous property, um, and they run, you know, spiritual retreats, but also family camp type activities. There's a very prominent one that I just was made aware of uh, in Chautauqua, New York, which has nearly 200 years of history of bringing an interfaith group in for the summer to have kind of a spiritual retreat and summer institute educational setting. Um, and then if you wanna go out east, there are, there are plenty of uh, fairy beaches in Maine. Star Island is an island that the Unitarian Universalist Association in conjunction with the United Church of Christ owns. Actually own an island off the coast of Rhode Island. And that is an extraordinary retreat center, an old Victorian hotel kind of looking out across the Atlantic. Um, and they have a UU chapel there that's been in operation for 200 years. Um, and uh, all sorts of activities. So if you are curious about retreat centers or things that you can do off-site, um, there's always a listing in the UU world. It's all the way in the back. It's like the events section. There will be a listing of retreat centers. And then um, through the UUA.org website um, and the different district websites, you can certainly find, uh, find places to go if you're curious. And certainly ask me about them if, you're, uh, if you have kind of follow-up questions. This is a very interesting question, and this might be something that we talk about later during service. Do you think that early Unitarian leaders would approve of and feel at home in our modern Sunday services? This is a great question because we so often claim people in our religious lineage, which are legitimately our spiritual ancestors, but who are not our spiritual contemporaries. So um, somebody like William Ellery Channing, who was incredibly radical for his time, he preached um, by saying there are certain things within the Christian tradition which have nothing to do with the true spirituality of Christianity and are only institutional. And that really threatened people like the Catholic Church and modern, actually, the Unitarian Association at the time. Um, 
Channing would hate it here. He would hate it here. He would hate the fact that there are women clergy. He would hate the fact that we don't preach uh, from the Bible every week. Um, he, would, he would be very uncomfortable in this setting. And I think it would, it would drive him nuts and he would say we're not Unitarian. And he would be right in that we no longer express only a one God theology. We're no longer anti-Trinitarian. We're no longer only monotheistic. We embrace paganism and polytheism and uh, deism and all sorts of different understandings of the divine, the divine love. Um, so Channing would hate it. Emerson would probably really enjoy himself. He loved strong women. He loved having women uh, in equal debates. Uh, he loved nature. He found divinity in nature as much as in any book. So he would love our Earth Day services. He would love um, the fact that we have a garden ministry that's worried about replanting our gardens. Um, he would he would love it here. Um, people like Parker, Theodore Parker, would probably be in between. Um, Parker was not much of a feminist, though he was an abolitionist and a real strong advocate of equality among the races. Um, he was also less, I think, attached to traditional Christianity than Channing, but not certainly as progressive or uh, you know, beyond Christianity as some of the transcendentalists like Emerson. So he would kind of be, he would kind of be in between. Certainly the earlier folks would be less, less comfortable. I think the further back you go, somebody like Servetus, um, who was Unitarian only really in theology, not in practice, or even further back, people like Arius, who were, who was a, priests, um, an origin who were priests, um, they, they wouldn't recognize this as their faith in the same way. But I think the short answer is Channing, not really. <laughs> Parker, kind of, and, and uh, Emerson, absolutely. Emerson would love it here. Just another one from UU History. What person in our Unitarian Universalist history do you find most inspiring and why? This is an interesting question because if it had been phrased, what person is the most influential in our history and why, that's a much different answer. Um, and I'll answer that one first. I, I took a class in media history, a couple classes in media history, but one uh, taught by David Bumbaugh at Meadville Lombard Theological School, and he argued that the most influential Unitarian or Universalist in our common history was P.T. Barnum. Now, there's a new movie out about Barnum, and I haven't seen it. I know he's not... I'm not, he's not portrayed in a particularly favorable light, and everything that I've been able to learn about him isn't particularly favorable. He was uh, kind of an elitist. He was certainly a hustler and someone who was out for his own gain, um, and he certainly 
changed the landscape of America and indeed the world. Uh, his showmanship and basically media barrage that uh, assisted uh, that accompanied his uh, his circus, his traveling circus, set the stage for reality shows and basically the, the whole of the entertainment industry and advertising industry that we find ourselves in today. Um, I do find a little bit inspiring that he was a committed universalist for all of his personal failings and helped found a number of institutions including Tufts University in Massachusetts where it's Crane Seminary educated five or six generations of universalist ministers and where I went to undergraduate uh, school. But in terms of the absolute most inspiring, I think it's, it, it would have to be someone, uh, you know, Viola Luiso is, is a pretty important character and we don't lift her up nearly as much as we should. This was the first woman, first white woman to join the NAACP of Detroit. She was committed to racial justice and was appalled by the violence she saw during Bloody Sunday in Selma. And she left her family in the care of uh, her black neighbor in Detroit and drove to Selma and volunteered her services to help the marchers however she could. And uh, she knew that there was some risk involved but she also knew that this was something that, that her faith was calling her to do, to support the marchers of Selma. And uh, sadly, of course, after the marches completed, she was helping drive people back from uh, Montgomery to, uh, to Selma and to the airports, and uh, she was attacked by the Klan and uh, shot and killed in her car driving, driving to the airport. And uh, her martyrdom came a few short weeks after James Reed, the Reverend James Reed from Boston, was killed uh, by a similar group in Selma. And uh, often in our history, we lift up the sacrifices of, of Jim Reed, who was also a parent and also left small children at home to, to answer the call to Selma. Um, but I think we give him a little more credit because he was a minister, and in some ways, I think that, uh, in some ways, Viola sacrificed more and did more because she was, this was not her profession, it was not her calling, she was not a minister. She was just a concerned citizen and a concerned mother who wanted to make a better, better world for her children and uh, really paid the ultimate sacrifice. So I, I'd say Viola, uh, is is up there with with all of our heroic founders and martyrs and those throughout our history who have taught us how to live in the world as good good human beings. So I think with that we will end this portion of our Ask the Minister Sunday. And uh, again, thank you so much for all of the wonderful questions and your participation this morning. We extinguish this flame, but we keep its light in our hearts.
with its message of love and justice, taking it outside these walls to the world we live in until we are together again. Go in peace. Go in love. Go in fellowship. Keep always in your heart that inquisitive curiosity that leads us to ask questions and leads us to ever further dialogue and knowledge of one another. Go in peace and love. Blessed be and amen.